All right, this morning we are in Proverbs chapter 3, and the title of my message today is Trusting the Next Step. Let's begin by reading our text together. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. This summer, as most summers, Dean and I went again up to Door County, Wisconsin, one of our favorite vacation places, just to chill and to relax. And we took a cruise this year uh, on the Great Lakes, and we went up to an area called Death's Door. It is a, it's a waterway between the tip of Door County and the island of Washington Island. And through there, there has been a numerous number of shipwrecks. But I was surprised to discover that in Lake Michigan, out of the 6,000 total shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, claiming over 30,000 lives, we had 1,500 of those shipwrecks in Lake Michigan. And some people estimate that 15,000 lives were lost here in just Lake Michigan waters alone. That prompted me just to begin to read about the Great Lakes, and I discovered how treacherous these Great Lakes actually are. These lakes are so enormous that, like the ocean, they challenge merit, uh, uh, mariners the same way that sea vessels and ocean-crossing vessels are challenged. And one of the scariest places for a sailor, a sailor to be in is when it is pitch black out in the middle of Lake Michigan. In fact, before GPS and before they tracked their goings through the constellations and so forth, it was very difficult. They would point their boat in one direction, and unfortunately, if it clouded over, and as you know, the weather changes around here hourly, it would change on them in the mid-course of their voyage and turn them all around. And they literally would get turned around in the middle of Lake Michigan and head back in the same direction in which they came, finding themselves in the dock or port in which they left. But to be turned around at sea is where actually we get the phrase from, I'm all, I feel all turned around in life. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about 2020. What a year it has been for all of us. I don't have to reiterate everything that we've experienced and gone through. But for many people, they have been turned around by the circumstances of life. We've been turned around. We feel like one of those uh, sailors on one of those ships that started out in one direction. And by the time we got to the midpoint of our journey, we got all turned around because of the darkness, because of the currents, because of the waves, and not realize we're going in a completely different direction than the one in which we started on. So for 2021, I thought that we would do just a couple of messages to help you in your navigation through the unknown. We don't know what next year is going to bring, but God does. And so therefore, we can trust Him to lead and to guide us through the unknown charted waters in which we are about to experience. No one in the end of 19, or 2019 could have ever guessed that 2020 was going to be the year that it was. And now that we sit here at the end of this year, looking at the new year, and I am as optimistic as anyone, and I'm certainly hoping things are better for everyone, 
but you just don't know anymore, do you? You feel like you got turned around, and really sometimes you don't know the direction in which you're going. But as a Christian, we have a God who sees us through such trying times. Though we may be blinded, He is certainly well aware and knows all things and sees all things and promises to lead and direct us and guide us if we will trust Him, not lean on our own understanding, and acknowledge Him in all that we do. That was Solomon's hope for his children. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs for his children to help them navigate the waters of adulthood. Hopefully learning from his mistakes and not repeating them themselves. He was hoping that his sons would learn from the mistakes and the consequences in which he experienced and therefore they would avoid these pitfalls and problems and mistakes and enjoy the blessing of doing so. And in Proverbs chapter 3, two of the greatest verses of the whole book are given to us. And that is verses 5 and 6. It all begins with trust. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. The heart in the Bible always represents the consciousness of man, the emotions of man, the intelligence of man, the center of man. It also, when phrased in this way, means completely trust the Lord with all of our capabilities. And therefore, relying on Him, leaning on Him fully as we begin to navigate the waters that are before us. To know that He is in control and that He is in charge and that He can see us through and show us and deliver us to where we are heading and going. Trust is a very difficult thing for people today, as I mentioned at Christmas Eve service. In fact, psychologists are doing more and more work to help people and give them the tools to be able to cultivate relationships with others. At the end of 2018, Psychology Today wrote an article on this subject alone. And trust is, again, something that is very difficult to obtain, but seems to be more difficult to maintain. We have to trust individuals to control areas that we cannot control for ourselves. We have to have a certain degree of trust in those in whom lead us because they have the authority to take us in a direction and therefore we need to be able to trust their leading to take us where we want to go. And unfortunately, after this year specifically, Trust in political leadership is at an all-time low. And as a result, people now don't trust the authorities that are over them any longer. And therefore do not want to submit to the authority in which their offices give them. And it's becoming a very difficult problem in our society. Currently, right now, over 78 million people in the United States of America feel disenfranchised. They feel that the whole governmental system has let them down. 
that the fraudulent activity that has taken place here in 2020 will go unchecked. And therefore, now they can't even trust the second aspect of our society, and that is the judicial system. The judicial system is, allows us protection, and also it allows us uh, justice. And if we can no longer trust that system, we then add to our insecurity greatly in this nation. If we don't believe that criminals will be held to account and suffer the consequences of their criminal activity, then what trust can we have in our judicial system? But today here in the city of Chicago, we see the Attorney General of Cook County letting people go simply due to their ethnic identity. But now we come to the medical community. And when one is sick or in need of medical attention, we have to trust the person in whom we are going to that first and foremost they will tell us the truth. And secondly, that they'll treat us accordingly to help us feel better and to recover. But now it is at an all-time low because we don't know who to believe after the manner in which the coronavirus has been handled here in in this nation. To this day, the vast majority of Americans still, according to articles written, do not believe the daily numbers that are being given concerning the number of new cases and also the number of deaths due to the coronavirus. They trusted these scientists. They put their trust in them. They allowed a lockdown that was supposed to go for only two weeks now to end, continue now through the month of December. People now are so fearful that they will not interact with people any longer they will not you know associate they will not uh, get involved they've been isolating themselves bringing on a whole myriad of other concerns and problems in personal relationships and this is what the article dressed directly that the intimacy between people in either friendship or in marriage relationships, again, is so strained and at an all-time low due to the lack of trust that people have for one another. And unfortunately, this lack of trust even is directed towards the church as more and more Americans see the church as an institute of hypocrisy. Trust is at an all-time low. So when we ask someone to trust the Lord, we are asking a very big thing from them. Now, I don't think it's nearly as big when you know who God is and understand His character and realize His faithfulness and understand His ideas for us as individuals. I don't think it's a hard uh, sell at all for me to put my complete faith and trust in Him But many Christians in America, because of all of these other areas that they feel that they have been betrayed, look now to God and project that same distrust upon Him as they do every other institute in our nation. Psychology Today came back with seven ways to build trust in a relationship. And the headline read, Whether starting out or rebuilding after betrayal, here's how to move forward in within a relationship. Number one, say what you mean and mean what you say. Number two, be vulnerable gradually. 
Number three, remember the role of respect within the relationship. Number four, give the benefit of doubt. Number five, express your feelings functionally, especially when it's tough. Number six, take a risk together. And number seven, be willing to give as well as to receive. It is interesting because when I read those, I personally feel that they are so superficial in addressing the actual problem that they miss the overall issue that is at the heart of the problem. And that is the fallen nature of man. Because of the fallen sinful nature of man, we have now entered into a life of inconsistency. And though we may verbally promise to do these things and to cultivate trust and be trustworthy, we have to rely on our flesh as an individual apart from God to do so. And many people today don't no longer even trust themselves. How many of you had to give away the the uh, Christmas cookies that you went home with after your family gathering because you didn't trust yourself? How many of you have to place yourself in a relation of accountability because you don't trust yourself? And yet we are asked by psychologists to work these seven steps and we will cultivate trust. But that's a very difficult ask. That's very difficult to do. But yet when it comes to God, God is completely different than any person that we would have a relationship with. Because He isn't operating from a fallen nature. He's perfect in all things. There's no darkness in Him at all. He is pure and holy and righteous and just. Merciful and loving. And the three greatest aspects of God are found, number one, that He keeps His Word, as we mentioned on Christmas Eve service. God keeps His Word. If He promises something to you, not only is He able to fulfill that promise, but every promise that He has made to us is yes in Christ Jesus, meaning He wants to. But He always keeps His Word. And if you accompany that with His character, you realize that there are certain things that God cannot do, and God can never lie to you. God can never deceive you. But often when I hear individuals say, I don't believe I can trust God any longer, I ask them why they feel that way. Well, He's let me down. Well, that asks and begs for a qualifying question. How has God let you down? And nine times out of ten, I could say ten times out of ten, it is due to the fact that they had set an expectation upon God that He had never stated in His Word to fulfill. And therefore, when he hasn't met their personal expectation that they projected upon him, they believe that God has let them down in some way or some form. And as a result, then they believe that they can no longer trust God. But the third aspect of the reasons why we can trust God is due to his consistency. I believe the consistency of God allows us to build that trust and to maintain that trust. One thing the article from Psychology Today didn't say is that it takes 30 years to build trust, but 30 seconds to destroy it. God will not destroy the trust that He builds with you. But see, to really understand that He keeps His word or understand His character or understand His consistency, 
we must be in His Word. This is how He has revealed Himself to us. That we may know and understand who He is. Just this week, Jeff Gibbs sent me a very interesting article about human beings. You know, the sentiment among young people today is that many of them disdain reading altogether. They avoid it like the plague. You know, they've grown up looking at screens and pictures and and so forth and video, and so reading seems anticlimactic compared to everything else that they've experienced. But according to this article that Jeff sent me, it appears that scientists have now seen that we have almost been created, pre-wired, if you will, to read. To read. And I think the greatest aspect of reading is allowing ourselves to read what is before us and in our mind's eye visualize and picture what is happening before us. That type of comprehension is so missing in our society today. But I have to believe that God revealed Himself through His Word for a purpose. And I believe that if we are truly pre-wired to read, it would make all the sense in the world that we would then therefore understand the character, the nature, the consistency of God. I would encourage each and every person that if they are going to trust fall into the hands of God, that they begin by doing so by starting at Genesis 1-1 and continuing to Revelation chapter 22. Make it a point to read through the entire Bible in 2021. And allow God, through His Word, secure secure yourself in the trust for Him. But secondly, God doesn't end there. And neither does Solomon. He says what's going to deter us from trusting in God is leaning on our own understanding. Often it's our own understanding that complicates the circumstances before us. And what I mean by that is when we look at circumstances before us and we complicate them with our own understanding, what I am saying about that is that we are making them a greater obstacle, a greater hindrance, a greater overwhelming force than maybe they actually are. Because when I lean on my own understandings, I realize very quickly how limited I actually am. So if I'm going to trust God fully, I need, therefore, to no longer rely on my own self-ability. I cannot look and frame the circumstances in the context of my personal limitations. All that's going to do is overwhelm me. It's going to scare me. It's going to cause me to grow anxious and to worry and to become fearful. But if I frame my circumstances in the, uh, in the framework and the context of God, then I challenge those circumstances by the notion, what is too great for my God to do? Nothing. Nothing at all. Throughout the Old Testament, we find individuals confronted with that very question. And I think of Abraham and Sarah waiting for the promised child Isaac and them coming to the realization, what is too hard for God? Nothing. So I must not lean on my own understanding. That does not mean that I do not learn from the uh, mistakes in which I make. That doesn't mean that I do not learn from the wisdom that I gather. 
What it does mean is I don't solely lean upon those things to guide and direct me, especially in a time that I am uh, lost or feel turned around due to the darkness around me and the churning waters beneath me. And so let us realize very quickly that we are limited in our own understanding and in our own perspective and in our own ability. And often we walk away with the conclusion that these things are going to destroy me when in actuality God is using these things to grow me. And that's a completely different expectation. And those six circumstances might be difficult. God never promises us smooth and uh, uneventful or uh, trialless days and weeks and years and months. But He does promise that in each and every circumstances, those events are working for our good into the conformity of Jesus Christ. And that's a much different way of looking upon them. And thirdly, we must acknowledge Him in all of our ways. What does that mean to acknowledge God? Yesterday I was watching The Honeymooners, it's one of my favorite shows, and they were learning how to play golf. And the first step in playing golf, they realized as they were reading from the book, was to address the ball. And of course, if you know the show, you know too well that Norton then looked at the ball and he said, Hello, ball. This is not the acknowledgement that <laughs> I don't know where I come up with these things. You guys are so patient. God bless you. This is not the acknowledgement that Solomon is referring to. Solomon is referring to the acknowledgement of God, meaning what insight, what wisdom has God given on any particular subject that we can apply to what we are currently facing? If we are currently in the midst of trying, uh, making a decision and trying to figure out what is right and wrong, we should acknowledge God by uh, once again retaining and pulling down that information about that circumstance and what God would do about it. So we make the right decisions. I mean, I don't have to take a show of hands to probably discover that most of you at one time or another made a decision that you now completely regret. And maybe you made that decision without the counsel of God. But God is saying, Solomon is saying, that what I have learned, my son, is this. That when I don't consult God, I get into further problems and I create even more problems by not consulting God. But again, we cannot apply the wisdom of the world to our circumstances if we don't know the wisdom of the word. That's why we must be in the Word daily. Not always thinking that what I am reading at this moment, at this time, is going to be uh, personally uh, applied at that day and that moment, but often preparing my heart for what is coming next. Preparing me for the next circumstance, the next trial, the next difficulty that I experience. That's what that reading of the Word does. It gives us the wisdom of God so we can acknowledge Him in all of our ways. Too often we allow other things to motivate our decisions 
And one of those is feelings. We have become, of course, a very feeling-oriented society. A person's feelings are as valid as the Bible itself today in our society. And so many are wrestling with feelings, and part of the reason that they're wrestling with feelings is because feelings change so rapidly. I'm sure that you've experienced this in the course of a day. In one day, you can be happy, you can be sad, you can be angry, you can be depressed, you can be fearful, you can be worried. It's like a roller coaster. And yet so many are basing their decisions on feelings. I am told often by individuals who are, unfortunately, much younger than I am now, and I'm only 25, that part of the reasons that they didn't make the right decision is because they weren't feeling it at the moment. Really? Are you feeling it now? Now that it's gone sideways on you? Now that it's thrown you into turmoil, into further consequences? Are you feeling it now? Feelings should not be the basis of our decisions, but facts. Facts that lead to wisdom. And we can only obtain that through God's Word as believers in Jesus Christ. Even the David wrote in the Psalms when he questioned the validity of his own heart and stated, Why, my soul, are you so troubled? Are you so down? And then as you go through the psalm, he then encourages himself and realizes that he was wrong to begin with. I personally believe that we need to move away from the basis of truth simply on our feelings. But I remember in the 1970s and 80s when we were told by the theologian Yoda himself, do not rely on yourself, your sight, but feelings. And now we have such a feelings-oriented society that people are so up and down due to that fact that they're miserable. And as a result, they often make poor decisions. But God says, if you will acknowledge me in all of your ways, James says he promises wisdom to anyone who asks and promises that wisdom freely and liberally. To each and every one. But then we have this, the course of direction in verse 6 at the end. And this is often lost in our discussion of these two verses. It says, And he shall direct your paths. The word there means make straight way your path. Now what does that mean? Does it mean that he'll make it easy? No. Does he mean that he'll uh, remove every obstacle? No. But what it does mean is that it will, he will straighten the path that more are uh, afraid of than those who are not. And that is a crooked path. The psalmist also talks about those who walk in a crooked path. And traveling from city to city in that ancient culture, one of the things that individuals did not want to do is travel a crooked path. Because behind the, the, uh, the jogging of the path, individuals such as marauders and bandits could hide and hijack them and mug them at any time without them even seeing it coming. And that's the illustration that I believe the psalmist is making when he says that often those, the wicked walk that crooked path because they keep falling into problems that they don't see coming. 
But God identifies those problems for us and allows us to avoid those problems, making our way straight. Not allowing for abandoned or marauder to hide behind something that we don't see him coming. And therefore, we don't need to be as fearful as those who do not have the Lord. But this only comes as a direct result of the first three. Number one, trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. Number two, leaning not on your own understanding. And number three, acknowledging Him in all of your ways. This is the direction that we need for 2021. We don't know what's coming next, but God does. We need to ask the Lord to make our ways straight so we avoid the pitfalls and problems that others experience for not having that wisdom that God has so freely given. You and I need to be able to travel to the best of our ability, taking each step forward in faith. As I said on Thursday, I believe that trust allows us to stand in the moment in the wake of the waves crashing in about us from the storm that we are experiencing, but faith allows us to look forward and pass those waves to allow us to take the next step in our walk with the Lord. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021, and I don't think anyone else does either except God. But I have the promise here given to me that if I trust Him with all of my heart, if I lean not on my own understanding, and if I acknowledge Him in all of my ways, He will. It's a promise. He will direct our paths. Today we no longer, as sailors and maritimers, we no longer need the stars to govern our directional system by. Even when it is cloudy and perfectly dark in the middle of the sea or on one of the Great Lakes, today we have GPS that not only shows us where we are, but where we are going and helps us find the safest way to get there. Think of God as our global GPS, taking us step by step through the darkness and allowing us to arrive where He would have us to go. That's the only assurity I can give you in this next year. Hopefully, it'll be a good year. And that's what I'm praying for, that God does a great work here and amongst us and through us all that we see many hundreds, if not thousands, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that we see loved ones who we've been praying for for years finally receive the Lord. But I don't know what God must do to create that environment that will cause people to turn back to Him once again. So it may get very hard upon all of us. But when it gets hard, and when the darkness is uh, intimidating around us, is when we have this promise to stand upon. And I would encourage each and every one of you to memorize these verses. In fact, for January, this will be our memory, these memory verses for January. So you already got a week ahead of everybody else, so capitalize on it. There will be a test afterwards. But I believe that this is the best thing that I can do for you, is to prepare you by turning you back to God again. And let me read these words one more time. I don't think we can read them enough. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths.